pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we come to you now to hear your word spoken to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would make me less, that I would decrease so that the Lord Christ might increase. Would you open our hearts and our minds to see you aright, that we may know you and love you and serve you even more this day and forevermore, we pray in the strong name of Christ. Amen. As you find your passage printed in your bulletin or in your Bible, I'll set the context a bit for us. Paul is writing to the Colossian church. We'll be reading from chapter 2. And he's writing to them because they seem to be straying away from the gospel that he has taught them. For whatever reason, they seem to be losing stock in his reputation, wondering if we could really trust this man. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them in what would be the pure gospel, faith in Christ alone, through grace alone. And Paul writes even a few short verses after our passage, unpacking a bit of where they are straying. And he says in verse 21 after our passage, he says, Many submit to you regulations such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says all of these things do not make you good Christians. All of the rituals of the religion that you seem to be crowding in upon the gospel do not make you better in the eyes of God. And so he comes back and he is pointing them to the pure religion of Christ alone. And so having set that context a bit, I invite you to read with me our passage beginning at verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. Let us read together. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I saw a movie a few years ago, and the setting of the movie is in what we might now call the second war in Iraq. You know, many in our current time and in the media are starting to describe what's going on in the Middle East as the third war in Iraq. And the movie takes place uh, because a gentleman who is a civilian contractor 
decides to go over in the midst of that strife for rebuilding. Now, we should note, of course, this is not a gentleman on a black ops or a special ops mission. He's not coming as any ambassador of a government or some political agenda. He's merely going to build roads, to build buildings, to rebuild their infrastructure. And yet he knows that it's a very dangerous place, but nevertheless he's eager to go because it is good pay, probably because it is so unsafe. And so he goes and he's spent several months in country and he begins to notice the rhythms of the life and how things work, how things operate in the town that he's in. And he notices one day that some of his men who are working begin to be uneasy with the natives that are there. Something seems to be afoot. And the movie actually takes place and begins right in the middle of the story. And you zoom in, quite literally, on a man in a box. Because he had been captured. And he was buried alive. Seemingly hopeless and helpless. And most of the movie takes place in this coffin, this crude box. I want to ask you a question this morning. When you think of your baptism, now I was baptized as an infant, so I don't, I don't really have true memories or feelings of that day. But when you think upon your baptism, do you think of yourself as someone who was buried alive? We see right in the heart of this passage from Colossians 2 that Paul is explaining to these people that being baptized means being buried with the Lord Jesus. I was a young Christian coming to faith in Christ. I certainly didn't think of myself that way. I didn't conceive of myself as someone who had been buried alive. But this seems to be the argument that Paul is making for us. And Paul begins writing in verse 6. We'll walk through the passage together. He says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Well, the first question for us this morning then is, how have we received Christ? How have you received the Lord Jesus? Have you received the Lord Jesus? I believe as we unpack further and further into this passage, the meaning of the text, we will see that we have received Christ as dead men and dead women. We're no different from someone who has been buried Alive, someone who is helpless and powerless to change their circumstances. And you know, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Paul says elsewhere when he says, We are indeed dead in our trespasses and sin. But at the right time, God makes us alive in Christ. He shows his love for us because he sends Jesus to die for our sins. And Paul explains to the Colossians. It's not because you're doing the right rituals that God loves you. You have not received Christ because you are not touching this or not handling this or you are coming to Sunday school enough or you are doing the right things. That is not the reason why God looks upon you in love. He looks upon you in love only because of the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, as you have received Him, so walk in Him. 
He's saying, as you have received Him, even at the first, it was by grace through faith alone. It was not of your own doing so that no one would boast. Just as you have received Him, continue to walk in Him. So, beloved, as we continue to walk, if you are a Christian and you are claiming Christ, you are not claiming Him because you are a good person and you do the right things. You are not holding on to Christ. It is He who is holding on to you. It's not because you are doing the right things that God loves you. So He compels us. We are to walk and to continue walking with this same understanding that in which we receive Christ. It gives us the same power to continue on. Now, of course, Paul says elsewhere, it doesn't mean that we are to continue in our sin. It doesn't mean that we willy-nilly do whatever we would like. He says, are we to continue in our sins so that grace may abound? By no means. But we do not receive Jesus by what we do or how much we love God. So he says, walk in Christ. I want to let you in on a little secret. You know, preachers aren't inherently good at this any more than any of you all are. I struggle with walking with Christ It is a long obedience in the same direction. It is one in which it calls me to repentance day in and day out. There's not a day that goes by when I don't have to wake up and look in the mirror and proclaim the gospel to myself. Philip, you have done nothing to earn the love of God. You have done nothing to keep His love. And yet He holds on to you. It is Christ who loves you. So how are we to walk in Him then? How are we to do this? Well, he continues on. He says that we are to be rooted and built up in Him. What does it mean to be rooted in something? Well, just take in your mind's eye for a moment any plant in creation. Your favorite tree, maybe. A beautiful flower or a rose bush. Of course, we know that they are rooted into the earth. They gain their sustenance through the ground. The psalmist says we are to be planted like trees beside living waters. And how do we do that? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. But ultimately, blessed is the one who abides in the Word. You see, Paul is pointing them back to Christ. You have to be rooted in Jesus. You have to be built up in Christ and in nothing else. No other ambition of your mind, no other work would save you that which is not Christ alone. We are to be rooted in Him, to find our life, to find our identity, to find our meaning in the Lord Jesus and in Him alone. No other God, no other work of your life, no other idol in your life, no other self-help or introspection will gain life. We're to be people of the Word. You know, he says, continuing on from there, we're to be established in the faith just as you were taught. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I love a good short novel. I love TV shows. You know, Netflix and and DVR are marvelous things. For for all of my childhood, I thought a 30-minute television show was really 30 minutes. And here it come to find out it's only 20 minutes. It's even shorter. Brothers and sisters, the Bible's not like that. There's no fast forward. There is a rewind. 
but it takes hard work. Paul is saying you have got to be established in the faith. If you want to be rooted in Christ, you've got to know Christ. And that's simply hard work of opening the Bible and reading it day in and day out. And as I've already mentioned just a few moments ago, it's not any easier for me. I don't have some secret privy counsel to God in which I open the Bible and immediately understand everything that's there. I have to study it diligently. I have to work over it and pour myself over it. But the beautiful thing is, unlike a TV show or a movie, this good ending is mine. It's not some character on television. This is about me and it's about you. We are to be people of the Word established in the faith just as we were taught I think inherently in that is we have to be people who can discern what is the right teaching. Paul is correcting the Colossians. That isn't the gospel. This is the gospel. I wonder if you ask yourself that on a daily basis. Do you really know what the gospel is? Do you understand what the Bible is about? And consequently, do you understand what it is not teaching? Beloved, I say you don't have to look far into our culture to understand what Scripture does not teach. Scripture does not teach that everyone who believes whatever they want will have a happy ending. Scripture does not teach that you can do whatever you will with your life. Scripture does not teach that you can control your own destiny. Scripture teaches us that we are dead men and dead women who receive the Lord Jesus as a free gift of God. We have to be established in the faith. That causes us to walk in it, to be rooted and built up in Christ. Now, the movie that I referenced just a few moments ago has a very interesting scene. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure how this comes about, but the gentleman who's buried alive comes to find out that he has a cell phone in his pocket. And wouldn't you know, despite all of the drop calls and everything else that go on in our culture, six feet under the ground he can take and receive calls. It's a, it's a miraculous thing. Now, now, why do I bring that up? Well, he's dead in a box underground. No one knows that he's there. No one knows where he is. But maybe if there's outside intervention, if someone calls into his life, there might be a hope that he could be saved. And that's largely the drama of the movie unfolding. Now, that's true of our lives as well. If the Lord Jesus does not call you to say saving faith, if He does not call out into your life, then you cannot call upon Him and be saved. That's the interchange of faith. That's why our Reformed tradition tells us that it's effectual calling that brings us to a saving knowledge of Christ. It is not us looking at God and saying, Oh, won't you save me? It is God looking at us, calling out to us and saying, Oh, won't you let me save you? I've given you Christ Jesus. But of course we know that once God calls upon us, once He has made us alive in Christ, it's a two-way street. We can call out to Him freely in the power of Christ. We're given access even to the Holy of Holies, even to the throne of grace. There is no need for a mediator. You don't have to come to my office or to Barry's office and ask us to pray to God. 
You yourself can pray to the living God. We are to be people of the Word, rooted in Christ, built up in Him, established in the faith, and we are to be those who call out to Him. That's how we walk in Christ. But you notice, Paul continues on. He says we are to be not only walking in Christ, we are filled in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. I think many of you know what it means to have loved ones who struggle with disease who have gone through cancer, who have gone through other various heartaches and traumas of the body. Now, think about this notion. They may not be healed in this life, but if we are filled in Christ, there is coming a day in which every cell will be made fully alive. All that we are will be filled with the living power of God. And so Paul says in verse 8, See to it then that no one takes you captive by these philosophies or these empty deceit or human tradition or elemental spirits of the world. See to it that no one takes you captive by anything other than Christ. Anything that's not according to Christ. We're to be walking in scriptures. We're to be filled with the Lord Jesus. But we're only to be filled and taken captive by Christ. Christ. He says, in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. Why have we been filled in Christ and not something else or someone else or some other thing in this world? Because He is the head of all rule and authority. God the Father has vindicated Jesus by His death, burial, and resurrection and given Him that name which is above all names. So we are not to be taken captive by anything in this life, no matter how good-looking it is. You know, the American dream is really the American lie. And it's so much better, you know, the lower on the totem pole that someone is, the better it seems when they rise to the top, when they rise to the occasion. I would argue with you, that's a lie. That's that's the philosophy. That's the empty deceit. There's nothing in all the world that you could have or do that would give you any satisfaction other than being taken captive by Christ. Well, how are we filled with Him? First, Paul says, we have to put off the body of the flesh. Putting off the old man, if you think about it practically, let's say I have a cup here filled with water. It's nonsensical to talk about me filling it more. It is full. Paul is saying, you've got to be emptied. You've got to put off the old man. You've got to come to a point in your life where you realize this is coming to no avail. This is pointless. The way in which I'm living is fruitless. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where things just seem to swirl about. I've never been in an earthquake, but I've had it described as, you seem still and yet the world is rocking. The foundation upon which you stand is moving and shaking. Have you ever gotten to that point? where you realize nothing that you can do will help. We've got to put off that old man and realize it's only by shedding that old man that we could then be filled 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul then goes on to describe this in terms of circumcision. He says, We were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By the circumcision of Christ. Elsewhere, Paul says, the writer of Deuteronomy says, This is a circumcision of the heart. Think about that language. It's cutting to the quick. It's cutting off the old and exposing the new. It's being distraught even down to the heart level, recognizing that your life is bankrupt without Christ. Have you been circumcised at the heart level? Are you wrestling with this honestly? Or do you still think that you can do life on your own? you still think that you can control life? Do you still think that you can even control part of your life? Do you still think that you could be successful enough in this life to be content? I think even if we had everything in all the world going for us, we would never be content for one reason. Because whether we're buried alive or whether you are buried dead, we're still going to die. Nothing we do is going to change that. There's only one way to get out of this life alive, and Paul is saying that's in Jesus. Have you pleaded with God then? Lord, cut me to the heart. Show me my sins. Show me this body of flesh that it might be put off so that I can be filled with the Lord Jesus. Show me my sins so that I might know my need of a Savior. You know, I say in layman's terms, how can we be filled with Christ if we're still full of ourselves? But Paul continues on with the good news, beloved. He says, you were buried with him, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when you think of your baptism... You think of yourself as a dead person. I now do. When my parents brought me forth, remember that we don't dedicate babies. It is not what we do bringing them to God. It is God showing His love for us, as Barry explained, much like a bridegroom giving an engagement ring. That this child, should there be faith in Christ, this child, the promise is as sure for him as for anyone else in the world. We just think about that logically. We baptize someone in the early service who's what we would call believer age baptism. It wasn't because of what Miss Ruth has done. It is a demonstration to show what God has done and how He is faithful to His promise. That if we are in Christ, we will be made alive. You know, our culture tells us something very different. Our culture wants us to see these religious rituals and see them as a means to self-help as a means to betterment. You know, baptism really is about taking a good person, you know, they might have a few, we need to wash them over here, we'll, we'll take off that rough edge, we'll make them a little better. You know, or at best, it's taking a bad person. You think about those conversion stories where it's a prostitute or a drug addict, or, and, and God be praised that they're saved, but it's all of those things, and we point at baptism and say, look at what they're doing for Jesus. The Reformed faith says, look at what God is doing for that person. Taking a dead person and making them alive. 
Now, how do we apply this to our life? I've been thinking over the last week, who is the Apostle Paul that he can say these things? That he can point his finger at you and say, you are a dead person. You are not worthy of God's love. Well, beloved, just think of who Paul is. You think Paul was a good person because he wrote in the New Testament? Paul is the one who claims that he is the chief of sinners. Paul knows what it means in baptism to go from death to life. Paul was on the road to Damascus uttering murderous threats and persecutions to the Christian church. And Jesus intervened and called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now think about that for a moment. Doesn't that sound familiar? What's been going on in Iraq? People have been breathing murderous threats against the Christian church and have been acting upon them. And yet Paul still has the safe ground to say, they are not the chief of sinners. I am. ISIS is not as bad as I was. Don't you see, beloved? Now, our country can do what it is called to do in the wisdom of God given to it. But as the Christian church is concerned, we are to think more accurately on our baptism, that we are dead people being made alive. And in that sense, you and I are no better than those who are persecuting our brothers and sisters around the world. And we are called then not only to think about our own baptism, but then to pray for these people. If God can save someone like Paul, then God can certainly save them. It is no greater a task to take one person who is dead versus another person who is dead and make them alive. If you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. To make them alive is the same great miracle. So we pray to that end. Yes, we continue to pray for relief from persecution. We pray for our brothers and sisters, but our knees should be worn out with praying for those people who are still in the binds of Satan. That's what baptism is all about. It's not about taking good men and making them better. It's about taking dead men and making them alive. And the power of God to raise Christ from the dead is that very same power that can and will accomplish this end to His glory through all the world. Let us pray for that today and every day. And let us believe and live in the good news of the gospel that you and I have been made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him. Be established in the faith that has been taught to you in God's holy word. Amen. Amen.